listening to the Testudo Times Podcast, the official podcast of SB Nation's Maryland Terrapins Colossus. Welcome to episode 96 of the Testudo Times podcast, where I'm happy to say Maryland no longer has a worse conference record than Rutgers. This is very important considering the team that Maryland is playing on Saturday. Joining us tonight, because everyone has decided that they'd much rather do other fun things on Halloween than recording a podcast, I can't imagine why they do that, to be honest with you. We have an old friend back with us from Land of Ten, but he's really ours, Testudo Times property. Ryan Connors has returned to us on Halloween you apparently didn't have much better to do on Halloween than record a podcast. <laughs> no, no. All I had to do was uh, hand out some candy and then uh, watch the college football rankings. That was pretty much my, my, my big event for the night. I guess while we're, while we're here, Maryland's not in them, but I want to ask briefly your thoughts. I mean, why not? Because there are plenty of Big Ten teams involved in a none team that Maryland is playing. Well, there is one team that Maryland is playing down the stretch that they could really quite ruin their season. And we all would kind of like to see that. So what did you think briefly on the college football playoff rankings before we go into actual Maryland football? Well, we should have watched other games, but we couldn't because we love Maryland too much. Yeah, I mean, I think overall it was pretty much what we expected. The, you know, not necessarily a complaint I really seen, but one I expected was that Ohio State at number six. A lot of people might think that's low, but that's one that really shouldn't be that much. You know, because... Oklahoma is number five, and basically what they said was, well, Oklahoma is going to be higher than Ohio State now because they did beat Ohio State, but I think Ohio State is going to end up back in the championship. And Georgia being higher than Bama was, I mean, it's, it's interesting, even if you know a lot of the smart internet people like our friend Alex Kirshner predicted that it would be so, I think it was just... It's it's still interesting because I would probably rank Alabama as the best team no matter what, but Georgia definitely does have have the better resume in terms of teams they've beaten so far. Uh, from the Big Ten perspective, I think it's it's interesting to see because if, a bit, if somebody from the Big Ten runs the table, goes the rest away. If Ohio State or Wisconsin runs the table, they're in the playoff, so it doesn't definitely. really matter that and, much. And you you got to think that one of them will. I don't think. Oh, I would assume that one of them will. Wisconsin's definitely not losing before the championship, and Ohio State's probably not, uh, barring some incredible resurgence from Michigan. But I or think it is. Stuff at Iowa. Don't discount Iowa. <laughs> that is, that is true. Although, I think I'm going to discount Iowa. But uh, uh, I never discount Iowa. <laughs> they did. They had that fluky win over Michigan last year that made approximately zero they had sense. A fluky but... win over. Iowa State this year. That's true. Um, <laughs> I, we, we, I wonder if we'll end up revisiting that game uh, over Atlanta 10 just because that didn't seem that crazy at the time. Now when it we look seems back like on the, the season. result of the season. Definitely. Definitely for Iowa at least. Uh, well, Iowa was one play away from beating Penn State. So yeah, that's a lot of time to not talk about Maryland on a Maryland podcast. But to be <laughs> honest, most of you wanted to watch Penn State, Ohio State instead of watching Indiana, Maryland. And I understand that because that was an amazing game. It was one of the most entertaining games of the season. But for those of us who were stuck watching Maryland, that was a wild game too. And no one really cares about it except us and Indiana fans. But that was a truly crazy game. There was a lot of stuff that happened. And there was a lot of yelling and screaming at the television by yours truly. But it was honestly a really fun game. And there is... The, I don't know if it's a good feeling because that was not the cleanest of games played by Maryland, but it's a win that they kind of needed to get from allowing the program to have a bit more of a sour feeling than you would have liked, considering everything that's happened this season. Yeah, and uh, I mean, Indiana is, when you look at all the teams Maryland beat this year, Indiana's probably, Indiana and Texas are have really played about the same so far this year. They're neck and neck if you look on S&P+. I believe uh, Indiana came in probably as a slight favorite, but this was a win Maryland definitely needed. And in the Big Ten where you just, you're going to enter games like Ohio State and Wisconsin where you're just going to be severely outmatched. 
And when you're not playing one of those games, you really got to take advantage. They uh, they did not do so against Northwestern, but it was it was definitely good to see that they they showed up in this one because if we're if we're talking bowl uh, bowl eligibility, which I imagine was a question we were going to get to anyway. Yep. Uh, Rutgers at next next week against Rutgers is a must win. It's certainly not guaranteed. Michigan. Feel like it's a game that's going to end up as a 13-0 Michigan win, the way Michigan's playing this year. Well, it was 28 um, nothing the last time they played in College Park, <laughs> and Maryland was really close for most of the first half. So I wouldn't be shocked if that happened. That is true, and I I can see definitely a game between those two teams that looks like the one the last one they played, and that it's not last year. Oh, two well, years ago. Year sorry, two Park, years ago. Yes. Yeah. No, I I do remember that game actually, but the. Uh, yeah, Michigan really pulled away. I think like two big plays essentially really separated them. Mm-hmm. But I can see a game playing out like that game just because Michigan's offense really isn't doing much. I mean, uh, if you have to bench a quarterback against Rutgers, I that's a low that even Maryland, with all of its quarterback craziness, has never reached. Yeah, it is that whole, and we've I've uh. One of the nice things about working at a place that covers a whole conference in, in term, instead of just covering one team has just been able to – I've just seen a lot, what a lot of the people care about, like for any particular team. And the Michigan quarterback thing has been one of the more fascinating things. I even wrote about it at a place there. where I write. I wrote well, there about you go. it last Saturday. I mean that's how entertaining it was. It, yeah. was. it was like one of those, oh my god, Michigan's either going to lose to Rutgers – or they've changed their quarterback, and that's a big deal. So, yeah. anyway, steering back to Maryland, uh, quarterbacks were interesting in this game. And I, I think one of the things I want to talk about with Max Bortenschlager, and we have not had you on since week one, and the angry Maryland quarterback hating God has taken two pounds of flesh since we last spoken. Uh, Max Bortenschlager's had a very interesting season. Obviously, he's been outmatched and outmanned against Ohio State and Wisconsin, who are going to be in the Big Ten championship game more than likely. He had a less-than-stellar game against Northwestern in a game that Maryland could have won on another day with another quarterback, but they didn't. Had no chance against UCF, who, again, I think that game... I know you predicted that Maryland was going to beat Texas and lose UCF, so I hate you. But anyway, <laughs> well, that game was wild circumstances, and it was pretty clear, as we've talked about on this podcast before, that Maryland didn't really have much of a chance after their quarterback got hurt. But he's won the two other games, and they were close games, and he needed to play well in those games, and he did. And he had that horrible interception on the opening drive. But otherwise, he played pretty well. I think he did as much as you could reasonably ask him to do. He made a couple of really good throws, having DJ Moore helps. And he led Maryland's offense effectively, and Maryland scored 42 points. And if you're quarterbacking a team that could score 42 points, that's not a bad afternoon of work, no matter who your quarterback is. Yeah, I think so. And... Yeah, Bortenschlager was always sort of in, I don't know, I guess an unfortunate, coming in midseason is always going to be hard no matter how many, no matter how long you have to prepare after you come in. I think it's always going to be hard. But uh, he, and considering he is not the obvious scheme fit that Tyrell Pigram and Kasim Hill are with their running abilities, but he has definitely done, I think, he, he's done as much as Maryland could have expected him to. Um, I mean, he was pretty good in against Indiana. If I'm looking at the uh, stat sheet here, and yeah, they're, again, they're not asking him to do that much, which no matter what quarterback Maryland had, they weren't going to. But, you know, 10 for 16, 171 yards, one Two interception. Two touchdown passes. Sure, one one interception, three sacks. Uh, you know, certainly not amazing, but I think the one interception is the big one. I imagine Maryland, it's pretty okay with the three sacks. They're always gonna. I know after the 2015 turnover disaster, I think Walt Bell, as offensive coordinator, was sort of preaching that you know we'll we'll take a sack. Don't like. Don't try to throw it if you can't do it. And he's been, you know, that made that made Perry Hills not always a, you know, beloved person to the fans, but definitely made it a little bit easier overall. 
I think, you know, you can certainly say some of that about him. I know if I'm looking at uh, – Although Bortzlager is a much better passer than Perry Hills is. He throws yes, a better yes, ball give, and he completes some passes. He's thrown a couple of touchdown passes to Tavon Jacobs in recent weeks that I would say are legitimately good throws. Joe Jacobs mm-hmm. was open and on the touchdown against Wisconsin in this game, but those are legitimately good throws. And it yeah. does help to have DJ Moore, who is, I mean, a cheat code. And, yeah. it, you know, he's in as best of a position as he could possibly be considering the circumstances when you have Ty Johnson, Lorenzo Harrison, and DJ Moore, who we talk about ad nauseum. And we should talk about them more. I, I mean, obviously, DJ Moore had some crazy, ridiculous catches in this game. And had, I didn't have a great game on the stat sheets, but he's DJ Moore, and he makes plays. And Maryland, after the games against uh, Ohio State and Northwestern, where they had no ability to run the ball, they've run the ball better the last couple of weeks. And that's as we've started to see the offense get a little bit better. And it helps, right? Because... This is an offense that is predicated on running the ball, and they need it in order to be successful in offense. And that would have been the case with Kasim Hill or Tyrell Pigram. It's more of a case with Max Bortenschlager because he can't really run, and otherwise they're going to load up the box and dare Bortenschlager to throw. And we've seen in the games against Ohio State and Wisconsin, he can't really do that, and nor should he be able to. This is not his team right now. But as Maryland starts to run the ball better, you could start to see better offense and. In the wins that Max Bortenschlager has led, Maryland ran the ball really effectively against Minnesota, and they ran it decently effectively against Indiana, and that's their formula for success no matter who they play against, and it doesn't matter if they play against a team that's supposedly better than them. If they can run the ball, then they are going to be successful. Yeah, definitely, and I think the Bortenschlager playing better, running game, doing better, definitely has a bunch of different causes. Like, you know, if you're Mar- if you're playing Maryland, you know you can really just stack up against the run. You don't even really have to worry that much about the read option, which was going to be a huge part of the game with Pigram or Kasim Hill. Um, so, yeah, again, having Bortenschlager, it, it takes away a lot of the misdirection stuff you can do with this offense, I think. But it's still, you know, he's got as good an arm as anyone on as any of the other guys they have. And when you're playing teams that aren't Ohio State, aren't Wisconsin, and you have just and you have DJ Moore on the sideline, you can actually get him the ball. I think, you know, it's harder to trust even DJ Moore, who has reached a status as the number one guy you hear about on the broadcast in the in the Maryland Indiana game at the beginning. Uh, they that's that's how you know you I think you've made it on a Maryland team because I think every year they have you know someone when you're the guy who you're the announcer you come in and you're like well I'm calling the Maryland Indiana game I'm calling the Maryland records game I gotta sorry if you have someone to, to talk that. about I, I want to get into the sports broadcasting business <laughs> very very badly and I know I call it Maryland records would be hilarious and amazing for me but that's not a game you'd really want to call if you get told by your producer, hi, you're going to call Railroad Rutgers. It was supposed to be at Yankee Stadium. It's not anymore. Sorry about that. Yeah, anyway. and I think they, when, you know, when, you've, when you have reached the point where you're the guy that they talk about, not like the number one guy, you've, you've definitely earned something. Cause I, mean, I mean, Todd Johnson was that guy last year. But uh, I guess, I mean, if we're looking at other people – it's, you know, the Torrey Smith and Stefan Diggs, the guy, you know, often Ste- wide receiver at Maryland. Darius Hayward Bay. Bay. Often in Maryland, it has ended up being a wide receiver for whatever reason, even though they've had a couple of wide receiver coaches. But, uh, and they have had no quarterbacks. Right. I think and, that this is another one of those where I started to think about this recently because how could you when you're at a, a school like Maryland where – you know, all the quarterbacks get injured, so they haven't had any success at quarterback in recent years. But the receivers that they've produced are really good. And since my vantage point is Stefan Diggs versus DJ Moore, I'm trying to think who was better in air quotes because they were both legitimately amazing. And Stefan Diggs had more, I guess, game-breaking ability once you got the ball in his hands. But DJ Moore as an athletic freak is something that even I don't think Stefan Diggs had. And well, Diggs had that, like, breakaway ability. DJ Moore doesn't have that, but if you throw him up the ball, he's more than likely going to catch it. So you've got two incredibly great receivers on the college level, and I think DJ Moore's skill set translates really well to the NFL. 
but they're great in two very different ways. And it is just kind of amazing that Maryland has had these two legitimately fantastic receivers since I've been there and you've been there too. And in terms of like how you view these receivers, what did you think? Like if there's a better receiver, cause I don't know if there is, but these are the kind of questions you ask when you see DJ Moore making some of the catches and doing some of the things that he's been doing this season. Uh, better as in who would be better between the two or better as in... I would say, I mean, as an NFL prospect, you know, you could argue that DJ Moore is, as an athletic freak is something every team wants, somebody who could go up the ball and make a catch, crazy catches like that. Stefan Diggs is more volume and he's more of a, I guess, a game breaker in terms of his speed. You get the ball in his hands and he's off. Uh, but for more, it's you throw up the ball, you get him on a go route, he'll go up and make a catch, you know, as in more of an athletic specimen. I'm trying to compare to a, a receiver and I can't really do that. I mean, Harry Bay and Torrey Smith were more like Stefan Diggs as opposed to, you know, DJ Moore. DJ Moore is 5'11". He's not exactly big, but his athleticism allows him to go up and make catches. Like, I don't know if it's who's better in terms of as a Maryland receiver, Maybe that's a better one as opposed to who could be better in the pros overall. So, I mean, in your eyes, who is the better Maryland receiver is assuming that this could be DJ Moore's last season in Maryland. And I'd be shocked if it isn't honestly at this point. Um, I would say I'm still definitely going with Diggs um, as much as DJ Moore has succeeded, you know, with this team in the past two years. Diggs, I think Diggs – Moore doesn't project to be that level as a pro prospect. First of all, because Diggs has been exceedingly better than even, you know, even Maryland fans who want to say, well, we, we knew he was great, which fair. We we didn't know he was going to be this good in the a NFL. A certain NFL team that I know very well took Rashad Green over him in the fifth <laughs> round of 2014. And that's, I mean, imagining Stefan Diggs in that team's receiving core – Wow. Anyway, sorry, I had to just think about that for a second. <laughs> and, I mean, fifth, he's in the fifth round. But, he, like, more, I think, the you know, the thing that scouts may hone in on him for is he, he's, he's pretty go- good at jump balls at Maryland. You know, they'll throw him the fade. You know, he'll have some catches where quarterback just slings it 30, down, 30 yards down the field and – the cornerback just keeps running, but Moore stops and gets it when it's a play he should have no business making. But those are plays that NFL corners, I think, are going to defend a lot better. And when Moore, he is only 5'11", isn't necessarily, you know, he's not 6'3". He's not going to be out jumping all of these guys. The Some of the advantages he has there are not going to be quite at all as prevalent in, in the pros. I still think... His ability to break tackles and you know his speed, versatility, all the things that make him good at Maryland are still definitely going to translate to the pros. He seems like a guy who should have a good NFL career, um, in my extremely non-expert opinion. But I think Diggs just has the straight-up speed that uh, really makes him different. And, I mean, Diggs was what? He was a top... I'm, I'm, he I'm was at least a top 20 recruit. I can't remember what it was exactly, but, you know, he was originally, we thought he was going to Ohio State and then did the whole hat under the table thing and went to Maryland. But he was one of the top 20 highest rated recruits in the country. And DJ Moore was nowhere near that. That was 24 7 had him as the no, number eight in the country. Okay, for curiosity's sake. Who was one? Who was one through seven? I want to hear this because I don't remember. But it can tell you that recruiting rankings are oftentimes not very scientific. So if Stefan Diggs was eighth, who was one through seven? Uh, I will. I will look that up because I'm generally a big fan of recruiting rankings in the in, in hindsight. In, they're in at least general general terms. Uh, let's see. But I, I think that Maryland fans you can't go wrong with saying Stefan Diggs and DJ Moore are also very great. They'll both go down to some of the best Maryland players in recent memory. But they're doing great things. And again, you can also argue that Diggs kind of did it with worse quarterbacks. And that's maybe true. Uh, although, not like DJ Moore has had Sam Darnold throwing in the ball. So, 
it's kind of a wash there. I think that's what makes it more impressive to me what these Maryland receivers have done in recent years is that they're doing it with no great quarterbacks. And Diggs certainly had that problem. Similar problem we've seen with DJ Moore, and it doesn't really matter. For the longest time, he was the number one receiver in the conference by yards, I think, which tells you a lot about how great DJ Moore is. And even though teams try to shut him down, many of them in the Big Ten can't. And many teams around the country can't stop somebody like DJ Moore, like a team like Ohio State and Wisconsin would. So where are we in terms of who was ranked above Stefan Diggs in the 2012 recruiting rankings? And if you can find it, DJ Moore, where he was, I don't believe he was ranked by any of the services, if I can remember correctly. I, I believe he was a three-star recruit. He was ranked, but nowhere, not not that Well, he was Stefan Diggs. Maryland hadn't had a recruit like Stefan Diggs since ever basically yeah well Diggs, Diggs, the guys above him uh landon collins yeah he's noah, pretty good noah spence decent jonathan gray don't remember him he's not in the nfl is he i yeah. don't think so Sh- shaq thompson he's pretty good dj humphreys he's pretty decent i think mario edwards and doriel green beckham oh he's the he, number he, well, one recruit Toriel yeah. Green Beckham, well, that 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 hasn't gone well in the NFL, but yeah. plenty plenty of good names up there. So a lot of decent NFL names, but a couple of those that didn't quite pan out. That's recruiting rankings for you in a nutshell. But anyway, I want to get to one other aspect of the Maryland Indiana game aside from the uniforms, which is Maryland's defense, and that has been a real sore spot this year. This game, they did get actually a pass rush for the first time since Jesse Annie Bonham got hurt. And that has been a huge problem for Maryland's defense all season. They had no ability to get after the quarterback, and they did in this game. But what are your thoughts on the defense after watching that game and just the lack of ability to, A, get off the field on third downs? They look in many ways kind of like we thought they might look at times this season, which is a little bit slow, a little bit off the pace. Uh, and they, they've given up a ton of yards. It's a bend-but-don't-break defense, and they've bent a lot this year. Yeah, and I think the uh... – as someone who definitely, you know, I feel like I had a very good grasp on the team, at least coming into this season, running or on defense, you know, especially on the front seven like this, really front six for Maryland since they live in the nickel, nothing, there wasn't going to be giant changes because the personnel was pretty much exactly the same from the season before. And the big recruiting class they brought in, those guys still weren't going to contribute as true freshmen most likely. And I think that's ended up being true. And I think it's, it, it's been pretty much expected. They didn't get that much of a pass rush last year. I think Anabonum was generally viewed slightly as slightly disappointing last year. Although whenever you play on the line on either side of the ball, I think it's pretty easy to get, you know, people will only notice you if you have a sack, but you know, they're not necessarily going to notice, you know, what you're doing every other single play, um, especially as me, who's, you know, certainly no expert on line play as much as I would like to be. But, uh, yeah, I think the the front seven, the biggest thing was nothing was going to change that much year over year because it's the same coaches, same players. And that's expecting a, a totally different result probably wasn't going to happen, but Watching that Texas game and really seeing, you know, Anna Bonham, Jermaine Carter, I know, still been doing a solid job getting the quarterback. I know he did a couple times against Indiana. Um, against Texas, it did look promising, I think, but that could have just been a one-game kind of thing where Texas – I mean, Texas has proven to be a pretty at least an okay team this year. But uh, – and I, th- I think it would be interesting just to see if – the Texas at the end of the season, how that team may have looked against Maryland. Uh, I, I don't know. What, well, what, Texas uh, now would be Maryland mean. now, but that's because Maryland doesn't have quarterbacks. Right, right. I, I'd love to re- I, we'll get a rerun of that game next year at FedEx Field. Yeah, and It'll be, be very interesting to see how that one goes because presumably Texas and Maryland should be much better on paper than they were this year, but that's going yeah. into 2018. Uh, but – on the whole, the defense gives up a ton of yards. They were awful on third down against Indiana. I think at one point they were like, Indiana was like 10 for 15 on third down. They couldn't get off the field. They did get a couple of uh, good bits of pass rush going, but they killed themselves with stupid penalties. Whether the refs were good with those penalties or not, uh, 
the save on Walker thing was ridiculous, and then Jermaine Carter's taunting penalty at the end of the game was also a little ridiculous as well. And DJ Durkin just lost his mind at one of the penalties, and I can't blame him for that because they were pretty terrible. But in terms of just yardage, in Indiana, I didn't have their top two running backs. They did have Simi Cobbs, who is a very good receiver, but Maryland still gave up a ton of yards, and they needed plays by defense and special teams to win this game. And they did get the Darnell Savage interception that set up a short field, and they did get a couple of very good plays on special teams. But if not for that, they probably lose this game because they could not keep up with a weakened Indiana with a freshman quarterback on offense. And that's concerning for a team that supposedly is priding itself on defense and has very good defensive coaches on its staff. It's been a bit of an issue for the Terps this season and a bigger issue than a lot of us thought it would be. Yeah, I think it's it's weird thinking about Maryland and really thinking which which side of the ball you expected to be better because I think for most of us it was the defense coming into the season. But the offense did have – offense has Maryland's most notable strength, which is just running the football. And if if all things had gone, you know, as people hoped it would, maybe Maryland's quarterback would have been considerably improved this year and we would have, you know, maybe the offense would have been a significant strength. But the defense, and I remember Alex wrote a real good piece when uh, when Maryland hired DJ Durkin and it was – you know, Durkin ran such a successful defense at Michigan, right? So, you know, you bring him in here and you're expecting, all right, you know, we want him to, we figure he'll run a, you know, pretty solid defense here. But it's, he he wasn't going, his, his defense was really only going to work when they get the personnel that he had at, not necessarily that he had at Michigan. Cause That's impossible was, to replicate. Exactly. But, uh He's he's on his way in terms of the uh, reinforcements he's brought in in the secondary. I know Marquise Bell and Deion Jones haven't really seen the field this year, but you know, with guys who were rated as highly as they were, chances are they're going to be pretty good players for Maryland. Uh, yeah, and there will be turnover on the defense after this season, so a lot of them yeah. will have to step up next year. And I mean, you have Darnell Savage ended up being a big deal. J.C. Jackson, assuming he's not a guy who's a threat to leave at the end of the year. The way he's uh, played this season, I doubt it. Okay, so I think Marcus Lewis transferred from Florida State. He'll fit in there somewhere. And all the young guys get another year of experience. I think the secondary, when you get them being able to play press coverage, really frees up Maryland's defense to do a lot of different things. And... That's still only half the battle because Maryland needs – I mean, you have Austin Fontaine coming in next year. You have the Gaddy Twins hopefully being ready to contribute next year. Same with Cam Spence. But there's still – there's a lot of unknowns. And things will only get better as long as DJ Durkin's recruiting because in his first season, he already recruited the best class Maryland's ever had. And – Class number two seems to be uh, seems to be on its way to being something similar to that, but I don't know. It is uh, the the defense. I think in the long term, it just comes down to adding more talent, and they they will be doing that. But uh, it's I think with a coach like Durkin, yeah, you do you do expect you do expect it to be a little bit better. Does that end up? meaning a coaching change, a defensive coordinator or something like that. I really don't know. I know a lot of people, when I was covering the team last year, they were quick to say, oh, Andy Boo's got to be fired. And I think that's just – that's pretty much a gut reaction without really knowing what's going on. And I think – Remember, any, he wasn't his first choice. He had to come in later because his original choice, whose name is escaping me, had – Scott Scott Schaefer. You are correct. Yeah, he was, you know, and originally, yeah, you get Scott Schaefer, who was just coming off being Syracuse's head coach. Uh, now, I believe he's defensive coordinator at Middle Tennessee State. It almost shouldn't matter who the defensive coordinator is if Durkin is the head coach and he knows that the guy running the defense and that they're in agreement. And I know... Uh, you had Mike London running the defensive line last year, so you had 
you know, two of the top coaches on the team on that side of the ball and nothing. And, you know, this year has been essentially the same. So I Minus think it, Mike London, who went to coach Howard, I think it is. If I'm right, correct. Yeah, he did. He did. Uh, he did end up at Howard. And yeah, I think the bottom line is it'll get better when they have more talent. That should be next year. They'll be younger next year too, which presents some more, uh, more challenges and it'll, it'll be weird. I think whenever you have a new coach at a program like Maryland, you'll always have, Oh, well, you know, maybe, maybe next year, maybe in two years. Um, We're getting close to saying next year is going to be this year. And I think for a lot of Maryland fans, as you look at the state of this program, next year might be 2018 because their schedule gets considerably easier. They've been dealt horrible, you Mm -hmm. know, crossover opponents the last couple of years, just, totally totally wrong who they've had to play in crossover games next year it's not nearly as bad illinois is involved so that should tell you it's a lot better than it was this year and minnesota's also involved who they beat and they have two games in out of conference that they should be pretty clearly favored in against temple and bowling green who is not bowling green that beat maryland in 2015 <laughs> so their schedule next year shakes out a lot more favorably than it does this year. And I and I hate talking about next year so often because there's still four games left this year. But it is so interesting how this project is starting to really culminate. And I think you're going to start to really see fruits of it next year when a lot more of Durkin's recruits play because a lot of this is still basically leftovers from Randy Edsel. And he did recruit in some areas, not many, but a lot of these guys are Randy Edsel recruits, not a quarterback, but uh, some of the running backs some of the receivers, a lot of the offensive line, and certainly a good chunk of the defense. So there's plenty of guys that have gotten better since DJ Durkin came here, but there's only so much you can do when you're playing in the most brutal division in college football. And now that we get to that, I want to ask quickly a couple of questions before we get on to Rutgers and then the rest of the season with the Big Ten. The first of which is, how different is this season if Maryland's quarterback stayed healthy? I've strayed away from asking that question often, because it's a hypothetical and it's kind of useless when Maryland is who they are right now at four and four. But the more you think about it, don't you think Maryland could easily be something like six and two? Because I think if they have a healthy quarterback, they certainly don't have what happened against UCF happened, and they probably have enough to beat Northwestern considering their offense would have played better. Don't think Ohio State and Wisconsin would have gone any differently, but you know. If they have a healthy Tyrell Pigram or Kasim Hill, is this season that much different? Because I tend to think with how good they looked against Texas, there was a chance that this team could have been a lot better than it is right now and certainly a lot better than many thought it could have been. That is that is definitely an interesting question. I think UCF probably would have still been a loss no matter what. Um, UCF has really been one. I mean, if you go strictly by S&P Plus, our favorite analytics metric over here they are the number five team in the country even if you don't even if you think that's that's maybe a bit of a uh you know, miscalculation um even though i mean those those stats are opponent adjusted but i think sometimes maybe you lose some of some of that i think maybe it just still doesn't always work quite the way it's supposed to but Nonetheless, I think you know UCF's been very good this year, and Maryland probably wasn't beating them anyway. Um, well, they were up three nothing until the quarterback got hurt. So <laughs> I I don't know I, I I don't know if they would have surely won that game, but it would not have ended the way it did. That's for sure. Yeah, I don't think it would have been a twenty eight point blowout necessarily. Um, but you look other places on the schedule. Uh, Northwestern certainly would have been closer. Northwestern's been a weird team this year where everyone thought they were going to be really good or, you know, pretty good at the beginning of the season. And they looked not super great in the beginning and have looked better since, but still, I don't know. So, yeah, I, I could see – I don't know. I think there's still only – if you look at the rest of the schedule, I mean, Ohio State and Wisconsin are still sure losses. Although probably not as ugly as they ended up being. Yeah, I think especially Ohio State. I think that UCF game is probably still a loss. Um, so you're probably looking at, you know, maybe if you switch that Northwestern game to a win, 
then uh, you're looking at five and three. I I don't I don't know I I probably wouldn't see six and two in there, um, but I think the outlook on the team would be definitely different. I think once the quarterback injuries happened, uh, you know, then Maryland starts to do the thing where it gets pressed for the bad reasons, and then that doesn't look very good. Uh, mm-hmm. Yeah, I th- I think the definitely the you know view of the program would be different because maybe they're being looked at as a team that while they aren't the Big Ten elite are all of a sudden like in that weird at the top of the weird middle class in the Big Ten that it's really unclear where any team is Michigan State we thought was in it but then maybe is back near the top but maybe they're not Northwestern, Minnesota, Unless you're the top four Purdue. teams in the Big Ten, or this year the top three, uh, everybody's in a weird position. Because yeah. Purdue had all that hype, and then they lost to Rutgers, and then the hype's gone away. Mm-hmm. You know, And then Rutgers, everybody expected to be garbage, and yet they have two conference wins. They have two more than Indiana, who everybody liked a lot coming into this season, even with a new coach. The Big Ten's weird. Once you get away from yeah. Ohio State, Penn State, and Wisconsin. <laughs> definitely so i want to ask one other question before we we turn quickly to rutgers and the rest of the season is maryland the whole athletic director situation with kevin anderson we really haven't addressed that since it happened because there haven't been many new developments but it came as a bit of a surprise to those of us on the outside and i'm unfortunately more on the outside than i'd like to be then you look more into the situation and you see well there was a lot of undercurrents of tension between kevin anderson and wallace Lowe, and that boiled over eventually uh, when you're looking at it now from more of a different perspective, from a Big Ten perspective, at why a team fires an athletic director or puts on administrative leave, we saw Nebraska do that after their football team started disastrously, and they've already hired somebody new. Uh, what do you think about that whole Kevin Anderson situation, how it broke, why it broke, and where it leaves Maryland now? I think it was it was very interesting because I it was so surprising when I first – saw that the reports come out on Twitter because if you're an athletic director, you have a lot of different jobs, but I think most of the time you are, you know, what makes or breaks your job is just the coaches you hired. Are they, are they teams performing well? You know, that isn't even always your fault, but that's what you're judged on. And especially when it comes to men's basketball and football, and Maryland men's basketball has is uh, looking as consistent and as good as it almost as it has in recent memory. And you know, Durkin leading the football team. I don't think you can find anyone saying a bad thing about him. So it's seeing those two hires seeming to perform so well, and then seeing you know the general success of Maryland's athletic department. You know the winning two lacrosse lately, but and even if the you know women's soccer team not not particularly good, field hockey's good, and you know we wrote we wrote two thousand words on the tennis team this year. They're they're uh, you know they're doing better. I think when you have that when you have an athletic department that appears to be successful from a strict just win loss perspective in most of its teams, you got to think there's, you know, people aren't getting along or something. Uh, I know the first report that came out said that Anderson was looking at the Cal job and that's why Waslow got mad, got mad, but I don't know if that's actually true. It's, it's a very weird situation considering how relatively successful Maryland's athletic department had been. I think that's really the, that's the best way I could say it. And, of course, there was also the old idea that Kevin Anderson was a big favorite of a certain Kevin Plank, and that made it a little bit weirder. And it, it, it right now it offers Maryland in a really odd position, but everything's still chugging along. All those programs are still chugging along the way they have been, and we'll see what happens in terms of a hire when something happens in the athletic director news. We'll let you know, of course. But it's been a little bit quieter on that front than I think some of us expected. So 
quickly as we get ready to wrap up this show, Maryland is playing Rutgers on Saturday in a game, once again, nobody outside of the two schools is going to watch. And again, can't blame you. Why would you? It's Maryland and Rutgers in the Big Ten Television Dollars Bowl, uh, a game that should have been at Yankee Stadium, which would have made it interesting, but is now in Piscataway, which makes it distinctly not interesting. If you haven't been to Piscataway before for any game, uh, you, you really shouldn't. It's not a place you want to go to watch a football game, I assure you of that. I've been to more of them than I wish I had been, and uh, I've got family connections to Rutgers. I've said that before, and I've sympathized with them, but uh, boy, it's uh, it's an arduous trek in Piscataway to get out to that stadium. But in terms of the actual game, Rutgers has a couple of decent players on offense. They have Gus Edwards, they have Raheem Blackshear, they have Janarian Grant, a couple of players that are going to be interesting. They can run the ball decently well, but not great. Their quarterback situation is Rutgers quarterbacks. The one that they are going to start is clearly hurt and is not fully healthy because their backup is the guy Lamar Jackson displaced at Louisville, and he's actually really quite terrible. This is one of the few games before the season that I think everyone assumed Maryland was going to win. They are only a one-point favorite now, which I think is Vegas just basically saying, we don't want to watch this game and neither should you. But in terms of Maryland actually winning this game, it's one where I don't think they're an overwhelming favorite, but they should pretty easily win because they have more talent on the field than Rutgers does. And that should come out, even though Rutgers has played a couple of decent teams in Washington and Michigan better than many people thought they would. Yeah, I think it'll be, I think this game should continue the tradition, the Big Ten tradition of Maryland Rutgers playing weird games that are fun, uh, excluding last year's game, which was excruciatingly boring. Uh, I mean, I mean, let, let's be honest. We all wanted to watch Ohio State-Michigan. I primarily watched Ohio State-Michigan during Rutgers-Maryland last year because why would you want to watch it, especially with Rutgers as bad as they were? This game's, I think, a tiny bit more interesting because you could get like a breakout game from DJ Moore or Ty Johnson or somebody like that, but... I don't know if it'll be weird. I think it'll just be one of those where Maryland probably should show up to be the more talented team. But since this Maryland team has defensive issues, I don't know whether that will happen or not. Yeah, yeah. And I think both of these teams are clearly improved over where they were last year. But that doesn't necessarily mean the game will be any any more exciting, unfortunately. Uh, you know, you rattled off the Rutgers players to know we... I already know the guys to watch on Maryland, but it should be, I don't know. I don't think it'll be a fairly high scoring game. I don't think it'll be like those first two games that Maryland Rutgers played when they joined the big 10 when where one team one got out giant leads to. Yeah, exactly. Uh, those were pretty fun. Well, the first but, one wasn't fun. Don't tell me that first <laughs> game was fun. It was awful. I don't know. Don't watch it. It's no, 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 no. You, you should care because you're a Maryland fan, but you could put on Johnny Holiday in the background while you watch other games. Um, yeah, like I'm, I'll probably have it. What I usually do on a Saturday is, you know, we have a bunch of TVs in the office and I'll have one computer streaming the Maryland game if they're not playing, if they're not already on one of those. And it'll be. What other Big Ten games on are at that time? Northwestern Nebraska's one. Let's check it out. Um, and I, Ohio State, Iowa. That's the other one. So you must rather watch that. Northwestern, Nebraska, Ohio State, Iowa. Yeah, so it'll be. I'll definitely have my eye on this, um, especially. Yeah, Northwestern, Nebraska is interesting just because every every game Nebraska plays, you're wondering whether it's going to be the nail in the coffin for oh, Mike Riley was last week. Yeah. They and Ohio State Iowa, you know, just because you're waiting for Iowa to do something ridiculous and ruin someone's year, but yeah, it'll be it'll be a game where you know we're sort of paying attention to at least. Well, you have to because there are teams in the Big Ten and you cover the Big Ten, so <laughs> well, we don't really we mostly cover seven teams in the Big Ten and the other seven we don't really cover that. Uh, that much, and Maryland Rutgers would fall into the latter category. I would assume, though, if they do something dumb, which is possible because it's Maryland Rutgers, that it could happen. So, based on what you know now about the final three teams on Maryland's schedule, I don't think they've got any shot against Penn State, but for argument's sake, Michigan State and Michigan, Michigan is going to potentially be starting, I I think he's, Brandon Peters is a redshirt freshman. 
Yes. Yes, okay. So they could be starting a redshirt freshman with a lot of pressure on his shoulders because John O'Corn was so bad. And I don't think Wilton Spate will be healthy by that game. And then you have Michigan State, who has played really stupid games recently. Uh, the Northwestern game was absolutely bonkers in the overtimes, but they're not an offensive juggernaut either. And they could be coming off of, you know, three straight losses. They play Penn State this week, and then they go at Ohio State. Not exactly an easy stretch. So do you think if we assume Maryland can beat Rutgers and they do and they get to five, is there any way they pull off an upset of those two and get to six? Is there any way? Yes. Do I think they're going to do it? No, but I am I am interested just because. Do you think there's a better chance now than there was at the start of the season that Maryland could have won one of those games? I'm going to say no because – Beginning of the season, we all thought Michigan State might be trash, and turns out they might be good. But also, they might not actually be that good. <laughs> and then Michigan, still not very good, but hasn't, I mean, hasn't lost to anyone. Doesn't, doesn't have any bad losses, like you would think. They, but the standards like, at Michigan are so high that you can't just beat the teams you're supposed to beat, you know. Yeah, you can't I think, lose forty-two to thirteen at Penn State and that be acceptable. Like, it's sure, a totally different sure. stratosphere. And Maryland, if you lost forty-two to thirteen at Penn State, people would be probably be like, "Wow, that was better than we thought," <laughs> you know. But this is the difference in programs in the Big Ten, and uh, it, it makes it for very interesting. Uh, so, if they ended five and seven with everything that's gone on in the season, this will be the last question before we end. Do you think that's a successful season for Maryland? I know a lot of us predicted that five and seven was going to be what happened. Uh, after they beat Texas, a lot of us thought differently. And then the quarterbacks got hurt. And then we were like, all right, they might win three or four getting to five, considering everything that's happened and the debilitating injuries that they've had, that that would go down as a mildly successful season, or they limited the damage as much as possible. And we're proud of them for that. Yeah, I think definitely. I think before the season, I predicted they'd go five and seven. And I think, I don't know, this was after everything that happened this year. Yeah, it would be, I don't see how you can complain that much if you're a Maryland fan. I get you can complain that, wow, my team still isn't relevant. But I think five and seven this year, the only teams, I think the only loss that would really stick out to you is disappointing would probably be the Northwestern loss, all things considered. Because um, everybody else you'd lose to would either be ranked or have been ranked at some point and be pretty good at football, better than Maryland is. Yeah, because, I mean, you ended up scheduling the toughest power five, the toughest group of five team in the country in UCF. And you went um, on the road to Texas. Went on the road to Texas. You played three teams in Ohio State, Wisconsin and Penn State that will likely finish in the top 10 and Michigan and Ohio State which will likely finish or Michigan and Michigan State which will likely finish in the top 25 you you can't be mad about that I think um that said I think both the Michigan and Michigan State games they're just they're just intriguing enough um especially when you have team like Michigan and Michigan State are their strengths are on defense and not offense. And when you're a team like that and you play a team that has Ty Johnson and DJ Moore, Maryland's always got a shot. And I think if they've figured things out enough on offense by then, which again, I know we're most of the way through the season. So what you get is pretty much what you get. But if you have big play threats like that, that's what could keep you in the game against a team that, doesn't have the explosiveness on offense that Maryland does. Final, final, final question. And I, I, don't, I don't really like to talk about this much, but the attendance at Maryland games this year has been uh, substandard. Uh, there was like 35,000 for homecoming, and whether that's just general apathy or they get blown out in the last game before these home games and nobody really wants to go and see that, you know, I can understand. But are you surprised that with the fact that they beat Texas at the start of the season – but they haven't really capitalized on that more in the stands? No, no, I think uh, this this was pretty much to be expected. Um, as, as a kid who's been to and not been to many Maryland 
on games, I think it's you're not going to get people to come back until you have like this. This may be at the beginning of the season. I know the Texas win was a start. The Towson win seemed interesting, but you need you need a little bit more than that. You need I think you need to a give fans at least one win at at home during the season that is like not fake over Towson. They're an FCS team, yes. Well, they um, have that now, so Yes, yes. They did have that game over Indiana. They did have the game win over Indiana, which I mean was objectively good and fun. Uh if you can't enjoy a thirty a forty two thirty nine football game, I think you're shouldn't be at one. But yeah, I think when you're still close enough to the uh to the disaster final year of Randy Edsel and I mean, last year Maryland still got outscored by like a hundred and three over three games. You're still you're still close enough to experiences like that where you just go and it's just no fun being at the game. Um, and I think you need you need a season where you started off with a couple wins to keep the fans all there, and then you don't have any just like big horrible home losses, maybe. I don't know. I don't know if that even means an eight-win season. You probably get away with seven, but you just need to need to be a little bit more consistent. You need to not absolutely get blown out, and and you just need the whole atmosphere on the program from the videos you see of the team on Twitter to Durkin speaking at events around campus. You need that. That'll all take a little bit of time before fans really buy into it and. You know, it obviously all starts with winning. How did it feel to be back on this show? It's like old times. <laughs> it was Except nice. Except one of us is employed and one of us isn't. <laughs> anyway, uh, it was great to have you back on. Hopefully we'll have you back at points during maybe the rest of the football season, the basketball season as well. I can't believe it starts next week. We're going to be doing a basketball preview show next week. And yeah. uh, that, that's amazing. I can't believe how quickly it's gone by. We've got only four games left in football. And then it's full steam ahead on basketball. There's Mark Turgeon press conference videos that are going to be up on the website really soon. You should stay tuned for that, and it's going to be very exciting. So thank you for listening. Much longer so than I thought with uh, this being essentially an impromptu show with an old friend because it's Halloween and we'd all be much rather doing other things. But thank you very much for listening. Stay tuned next week for a whole-scale basketball preview show. But until then, go Terps.